0: Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. Can you please tell us about our topic and our guest for this episode?
1: Hi, Grant. Yes, well, As ever, we are talking about the big hot topic of the moment, which is plastic resource recovery. In the wake of the government bans on exporting plastic waste and in light of the recent Red Cycle soft plastics collection suspension, there has been a renewed focus on plastics resource recovery, what the challenges are and where the opportunities lie. And today we're joined by someone who is working actively in that space, and that is Bronwyn Boyce, who is the founder of Civic Futures Lab, and she's here to tell us all about The Great Plastic Rescue. Bronwyn, welcome to the PKN Podcast.
0: Thank you, Lindy. It's absolutely a delight to be here with you today.
1: Fantastic. Well, tell us what The Great Plastic Rescue is all about and how you came to be involved.
0: Sure. So, I mean, the Great Plastic Rescue is really born out of the very fundamental notion that we really shouldn't have items that can be recycled, being buried um, or potentially burnt. Uh, It's really just unsustainable in terms of the limited resources that we do have on this planet. And, you know, if we're investing resources in creating a material, let's keep it in use for the maximum time um, that it can be used and and at, at its highest value. So, it, that's the you know the the fundamental i guess of the circular economy principles and when we heard about the single use plastic bans coming into effect in Queensland just over 12 months ago we understood that there was no real solution for organisations big or small that had surplus stock so the idea of, uh, you know, boxes and boxes and boxes of unused clean plastic items going into a skip-in was really just, you know, unfathomable. And uh, a friend of our, mine, uh, Amy Cobb, decided uh, her and I decided to partner we, with a number of local organisations that were plastic manufacturers, uh, plastic recyclers, to really come together, develop a solution um, and essentially divert those items from landfill.
1: So this is a project of the Civic Futures Lab. So let's just take one step back from this and then we'll explore more on the great plastic rescue in a moment. Tell me about Civic Futures Lab and how you came to be involved.
0: Sure. So, I mean, my background, Lindy, um, I've worked with local businesses uh, in my very early career as a, as a banker and as a lender. So, worked, you know, side-by-side business owners and then worked in the policy and economic development and environmental policy space for a number of years as well. And I guess my passion really is about helping businesses become more sustainable. And as we look towards, you know, 2030, we have COP just recently um, being held in Egypt, um, you know, there's there's a real drive and a real necessity for organisations to think about the way that they do business, so that we can have a more sustainable commercial sector, but also a sustainable planet. And so Civic Futures Lab was really born from that idea of, you know, my background in policy, understanding the, the, the challenges that um, organisations face in the operating environment, but also the need for them to think more holistically about their business um, in that broader ESG space. So ESG is really a hot topic at the moment, but I think we also, and you know, I understand that you know, in terms of maturity, businesses really just need a pragmatic path forward So, Civic Futures Lab really helps take the big goals of ESG strategy to a very simple, you know, what can we do in the short, medium and longer term? What are the low-hanging fruits and how can we start to think about um, business models in a different way? So, we work with, you know, organisations at all scales, corporates as well as, um, you know, smaller SME businesses to have a look at their current operating model and, you know, how their performance in ESG is and and work out some pragmatic steps on, you know, evolving their practices and processes so that they can really work towards a decarbonised business model, but in a way that, you know, helps them mature at at the pace that they, you know, have the capacity to.
1: So, the Great Plastic Rescue is a project of Civic Futures Lab, as I understand it. Um, You started it in Queensland. You're also working now in New South Wales. How did that come about?
0: So when we established the Great Plastic Rescue, I think really we were probably a world first uh, in terms of that very uh, bespoke model approach to helping businesses with surplus stock in the you know in the wake of single use plastic bans, and certainly um, some of our partners that we worked with in Queensland were uh, going on to work with other governments in New South Wales, Western Australia, and even now in Victoria. And when those governments have I guess seen what what happened in Queensland, that you know the question was who can who can help with this? And we are the only ones in I think the country that have really delivered a program um, of this sort of nature and scale. We've had over two hundred. Uh, registrants in New South Wales in the last couple of months, in the wake of these um, plastic uh, bag bans, and then now one November, the cutlery, the straws, etc., and uh, pledges of over fifty thousand kilograms of stock. Okay, and how does it work?
1: How do organisations sign up with you, and how are you letting them know about the Great Plastic Rescue?
0: Yeah, so look, the, the Great Plastic Rescue in New South Wales um, and I guess broadly our registrations have closed for 2022 as we sort of wrap towards the end of the, the year and the festive season is upon us. But certainly the model was, you know, organisations pledge their surplus stock and then we ask that they send it to our facility um, depending where we're operating. But in this case, say, for example, New South Wales, um, we had a facility in Sydney that um, where we stored and then now that all the stocks that are coming through the door, we're working on a process of sorting all the items by polymer type. So the key thing with, I guess, the with recycling and the, the broader sort of sector and the capacity in the sector is if you've got um, good quality feedstock of you know the same resin type, that's like you know that's that's the pick of the the litter so to speak for recyclers, and so we're really seeking to you know avoid downcycling. So if the products were put in a say a general recycling bin, they could be mixed with other plastics and other plastic polymers, and you know not be kept at their highest value. So what we find with a lot of cutlery is it's polypropylene. So. We put all the polypropylene together, the polystyrene together or the expanded polystyrene together, for example, and then we find recycling partners for each of those polymer types. And as I said, that just really helps keep the, the raw material that once was and now the, the polymer at its highest value in the economy.
1: So isn't finding recycling partners one of the biggest challenges? Because as we know from the conversations that we've been having lately, recycling capacity is not at its peak at the moment.
0: Yeah, certainly. I think what we've seen in Australia over the last um, number of years in the wake of China's sword and of course the waste export bans is that there has been a renewed focus on growing domestic capacity and, you know, support from government uh, and industry to, you know, really invest in onshore reprocessing capacity. But of course, that takes time. So, even if it's, you know, if it's whether it's through grant funding or private sector investment, by the time you commission a plant, you know, from inception to having it running and and running at full capacity, can be quite a number of years and so you're right i think we have seen that while there has been an increased capacity on shore it it's taking you know it does take time and in the meantime we continue to consume and produce you know far more waste and far more plastic waste than we have capacity to reprocess so you know that was an issue before it's just that instead of you know us trying to deal with it here locally we were shipping a, a large amount of it offshore and and now that it's you know remaining onshore we we know we, we're in the space where well of course we don't want to see that going into landfill if it doesn't need to you know if it can be recycled and reused and repurposed
1: so as you know from the recent red cycle saga um, the shortage of recycling capacity and the sudden unexpected shortage in the case of one of the, the largest users of red cycle materials um, has caused red cycle to have to store. And let's not use the word stockpile. They had to store this material. Are you going to find yourself in a similar place?
0: Uh, no, I don't think so. Look, uh, we are a very very different operation to red cycle and, I, and first of all i think you know thank you first there's two there's two i think important points of that first of all the the program is being paused in terms of their collection and you know i take my hat off to red cycle for making that tough decision because certainly they do you know they have invested a lot in you know re, retraining and educating consumers about what can be recycled and then you know if, if we've seen some of the outcry about you know now that you can't take your, your soft plastics to the store but i think it's also so, provided a bit more of an appreciation of what the service was really doing and and trying to solve a, a whole value chain problem, which essentially is not a red cycle problem. It is a value chain problem. So look, um, from our perspective, we're, we've got boxes of clean unused cutlery. It's quite different to, you know, bags of Kit Kat wrappers and, um, you know, cheese packets and whatnot. So, what our feedstock is, is quite different, which is, you know, then creates obviously a very different conversation with a recycler. So, if you go to a recycler with, you know, highly contaminated mixed feedstock, that's quite different to, you know, feedstock that we've got, which is sorted, clean, you know basically, as I I like to sort of say, liquid gold in some ways. So, look, it's a very – and that's the thing with recycling. It's super complex. Big snow feedstock is exactly the same. And even if the the type of material is the same, depending on the way that it's collected, you know, what you might find in one wheelie bin in one council in, you know, Victoria – could be quite different to somewhere in Byron Bay, for example. So, it's, it, it really is a complex um, system. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of room for improvement, but I do think that, you know, what's happened with Red Cycle has really elevated the conversation around our recycling capacity onshore, and I think that's a really great thing for Australia.
1: Yeah, as Liz Castle herself said, <laughs> let's not waste this crisis <laughs> because it's, it's thrown the spotlight onto the problem and... Thank goodness we're having these conversations now. We've got a soft plastics task force being formed, and ACCC has given the green light to a collaboration between supermarkets, um, a conditional authorization on it. But nonetheless, it is going to go ahead. We've got organizations like APCO that will be weighing in. And I think as bad as the situation is, it's still a good thing that we've now had the wake-up call.
0: Yeah, look, and that's, I know that the real thing is, is at the end of the day, we we do produce and consume a whole lot more plastic waste than we, you know, than we can essentially manage at the moment on shore. And so there does need to be some changes. We do need to rethink packaging. We need to rethink, you know, designing out waste. We need to think, you know, what what the actual, you know, even if it's recyclable, do we have the capacity to recycle it? And then what's the end market? Where Where is it going to go? Even if we had all the recycling facilities in the world if if there's not you know sufficient you know government procurement or um, recycled content demand then the system doesn't work so it really does need that whole of value chain approach to to solving the problem.
1: yeah so the pull through is essential and we've certainly seen that um, the call for increased um, buy uh, awareness around buy recycled and also for brand owners to specify recycled content, and also for government to buy more product that contains recycled content. Now, one of the other challenges that you faced, Bronwyn, and you posted about it on LinkedIn, and I followed the chat um, with interest, was that you were facing a pallet crisis. How did you overcome that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah look and I think I mean my crisis would be I would say fairly minor (laughs) in the big scheme of things um you know I only really needed five or ten pallets um but they certainly are very very hard to come by so the storage um and the the Partners that I've got have very limited space, so we need things on pallets so we can stack and, you know, rack and stack. Um, And, you know, if you don't have a pallet account, one, that's a bit of a challenge. And even if you do, getting your hands on them is a challenge. And this is not a new challenge. This has certainly been a number of years um, that major retailers and, you know, organizations across, you know, both Australia and I think even globally are facing There's um, I think in the wake of COVID, timber shortages as well uh, due to, you know, increased demand for timber in other industries like construction and then, you know, driving up the prices as well. So, there's been less, you know, availability of timber to refurbish and, and remanufacture traditional timber pallets. And certainly even, you know, um, working with some of the, the big pallet providers, it's even hard for them to get pallets from their own pool because, you know, organisations are hanging on to them where they can um, because they don't want to be stuck because ultimately That is what moves goods around this country. So, look, as I said, our crisis was rather small in the in the scheme of things, but certainly felt feel the pain, and we're very lucky. um, And I and I do think this is the beautiful power of um, doing. You know, good business in Australia is that there everybody's kind of willing to help and a sort of a friend of a friend of a friend has found some pallets for me in Sydney and also have worked very closely with the head of sustainability and circular economy in Shep and he's been able to locate a number of um, pallets for me to to borrow so I'm very grateful for that the power of LinkedIn and the network of you know the broader sort of packaging space <laughs> um, for our minor our minor crisis but certainly it does I mean I think this is the the exciting thing about some of these kind of issues and challenges that we're seeing in supply chain. Again, we just talked about soft plastics, but certainly even in the pallet space, we'll see more sustainable options coming to market. I certainly know of um, an organisation in Brisbane that's developing a circular uh, modular pallet and a a range of um, options to this gap in the market, and also we'll see smart, you know, tech enabled as warehouses become more automated and you know, DCs are you know, high degree of automation. And then I think also with the, the bigger push around decarbonization and thinking about scope three emissions, you really want to be you know, know where your goods are and you know, how long they're taking to get there and and you know, what the movements are so that you can track the emissions of those products. So I think we'll see some really interesting smart palette tech um, come to market in the next year or so. Okay, so where to next with the Great Plastic Rescue?
1: You said you've you've closed for this year. What's the plan for 2023?
0: We've certainly been um, approached by a number of organisations who, broadly, I, you know, I think I, I I always sort of say Great Plastic Rescue is kind of like a little canopy to circular economy and circularity. Um, it's just a bit of a taste and we've been approached by a number of organizations who are super keen to think about circularity in their business and even major corporations that have global sustainability strategies with circularity embedded as a principle in that um, certainly keen to think about what they can do on shore to you know drive circular circularity within their business so plastic you know is a is a great commodity in terms of its usability and its And recyclability when it when it is (laughs) treated properly, Um, but there's there's also obviously a range of other commodities that you know in the in the the broader sort of circularity space that we can be using more of and you know diverting from landfill. So certainly beyond plastics, I think there's a, a great opportunity for us to explore some conversations about how we can really advance the circular economy in Australia. I just was at Circularity Conference in Sydney last week and certainly caught up with the chair of Circular Australia this morning. It's a really great time. It's it's timely in the context, I think, also of the 2032 Olympics and the need for those Olympics to be carbon-positive for us to get to a, a carbon-positive you know, economy, we really need to be thinking about resource use and circular, um, circularity is really at the centre of that. Well, Bronwyn, thank you very much for sharing your journey and for telling us
1: what you hope for next. I'm certain that this is not the last we hear from you, and we're really keen to follow the, the tracking um, of Great Plastic Rescue and hear in 2023 how it all went.
0: Thank you, Lindy. Look, I really look forward to sharing um, how many tonnes of plastics we've diverted from landfill. We're up to 35 tonnes uh, to date and I'm you know, very hopeful that we can you know, get close to doubling that before the, the new year. So I'll keep you posted. Thanks very much. Well, thank you, Bronwyn. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from the show. But we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.